Hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Technology Uncorked. My name is Jeff Cortramani, and this show is brought to you by Navman. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know about you guys, but there is a lot more people driving Ubers, doing Amazon Prime deliveries, DoorDash, Uber Eats, you name it. And I'm not just talking about my house. It's a lot of people. And it's a great little side hustle to have or even potentially as your main career. The one thing I will recommend to anybody who is going into ride sharing, uh, delivery, anything like that, even if you are just a Domino's delivery guy, please, please, please don't just have excellent navigation, but please also have a dash cam because your entire trip, you should be recording. You should be making sure that all that time you're spending on the road, you're actually recording because anything could happen out there and it's up to you to prove that you are innocent. And the only way to do that is with a high quality dash cam, our front and rear camera. And one particular unit that I absolutely would recommend is the MyView 900 dual camera. This is from Navman. This is a front and rear high definition camera. Amazing low light performance, especially at nighttime. If you're going through tunnels and things like that, you're not going to get washed out details of the cars, but also it's a fully GPS tagged videos. You've got the G sensor on board. There is nothing that you'll particularly be missing. It will be a very good quality recording and absolutely that piece of evidence that you'll ever need should something, hopefully never, but should something actually go wrong. At 299, it's a small investment to make in something that would have a huge upside should something actually occur but obviously let's just keep those deliveries coming keep everybody happy especially me on a friday night jeff loves his doordash moving on let's get on with the show jeff jeff quattromani thank you very much from sydney jeff quattromani is here and now it's time to talk technology with jeff quattromani jeff quattromani hello everybody thanks for tuning in what the heck let's talk tech and good afternoon, good evening, good morning, whenever it is that you are listening. This is Australia's number one technology podcast. And today we are obviously going to be talking about one particular thing. But we'll also talk about some other things. The biggest thing we're going to talk, spend some time talking about today is unpacking all of the announcements from Samsung around their new Galaxy S23 range. Three devices. We'll run through them all. Pros and cons of each. I've had hands on time with all of the devices. And I can tell you what's good, what's maybe not so good about any of those phones that are coming out very, very shortly. But obviously, we've obviously got some tech news and we're going to get into that. However, let's quickly crack open a bottle of wine. Today, we have the Wira Wira Church Block. This is a blend of blends. Cabernet Sauvignon, Shiraz, Merlot from McLaren Val mixed together and just producing probably the ideal table wine. You're going to someone's house. You're having a Wednesday special dinner. It's perfect. Is it that special occasion? Maybe not, but at $20 a bottle, it couldn't go wrong. It's the kind of wine that you can pour for any random person. And if they like reds, they're going to be kind of like, this is great. Let's move on and have a conversation. Rather than just talking about the wine, it starts conversations about something else. That's the thing. It's not, it's not the central focus of the conversation. It's just the base. And that really is perfect for this show because today, let's get into some tech news. And the first thing that I want to quickly touch on here is from Ford. Ford has put in a few patents and patents with designs of a car of the future and how drones can be part of that future of automotive. Think about this. You're driving in traffic. You're sitting there and you're thinking, I still need to get my morning coffee. I'm stuck in traffic. You know, to take the exit for the cafe on my way to work, it's going to be a nuisance. So you pop open the sunroof. I don't know. You press a button and the drone is deployed from the car. 
The drone makes its way to the coffee store, and perhaps through your car infotainment system, you've told it which coffee store to go to, and you've placed your order. The drone is on the way. Drone's on the way, lowers itself down. Coffee person, barista, passes the coffee to the drone. Drone flies back to your car while you're still sitting in traffic and hand delivers you that coffee. That is a real example which Ford sees as the future. The other example, which I kind of like actually, is you're sitting in traffic, let's use that same scenario, and you're wondering why. What's going on? What should I be doing? The drone can be deployed. Look up ahead. See where the accident is. See where the issue is. What's the holdup? And potentially let you know, provide that vision back to you, probably via the infotainment system in the car, and then obviously allowing you to make a choice as to taking that next exit, or hey, it's about to clear up and we can just wait. Giving you those eyes way further down the road, obviously knowing how far a drone can actually travel, may give you some benefit. The confusing part for me is if all these cars have these drones, how on earth does that work? And if you immediately start driving after that drone has already taken off, is the drone really going to catch up to you? Can it really land back in your car? Do you need to pull over to let it catch back in? I mean, how does this actually work? It's kind of nuts. The one thing that I will actually say, and an example I have been thinking of uh, outside of Ford's little design documents here is in a, in a car accident situation, imagine there is a car accident ahead like we just you know described, but you're one of the first persons to drive past it or maybe it just happened right in front of you. If that drone could actually be deployed by passerbys, lifted into the air, providing aerial vision and sending that to emergency services, I can see a huge benefit to that. If you're an ambulance on your way to a car accident, you don't necessarily have a clue what situation you're about to walk into. But if a drone has been deployed ahead of time from passerbys, whatever the case is, that gives them eyes on the scene before they get there. It might tell them, is there is there immediate injuries? Is there things we need to worry about? Are there any hostile people around? Anything we need to be concerned about? From an AMBO perspective, I can see something like this working. But anyway, you let me know what you think. Do you really want a drone attached to your car that you can deploy to fetch you coffee, general store items, or anything like that? I don't know. The second thing I want to quickly touch on, and we will, we will get to Samsung after the next couple of stories, uh, there is a plan. And we've been talking about ChatGPT, and I'm going to let that one rest for a couple of weeks. but when it comes to artificial intelligence, there is a new language that we are looking to translate and AI is working on it. And it's not human language. Well, I guess in some ways it would be human language, but we're talking about translation here, not English to Mandarin, Italian to Egyptian. I'm talking about, maybe is Egyptian the language name? Maybe it's called something else. Uh, we're talking about human to animal interaction. Now, if you've got pets, and you hear them bark, meow, chuk chuk, moo, whatever it is. How do you really know what they're saying? AI is literally looking to tell you those answers. Obviously, by programming and listening to so many different responses from animals, testing what the outcome is of what they were actually potentially making noise about, learning, building that into a machine model so that your phone or your earbuds or something could be used to translate your animal sounds into English or whatever language you is that you understand, helping you understand what it is your pets or a nearby animal is talking about. On the flip side, how do we let animals know what we're actually saying? Because I think we just yell at them, assuming they know English. And if they don't know English, 
We just hope that the, the tone of our voice is, is kind of insinuating whether we want them near us or away from us. But if we can actually talk to them, walk faster. Hey, I don't have to keep pulling you on this leash. Can you just keep, keep walking? Walk next to me. Don't go that way. Walk this way. Imagine if you could talk to your animals and suddenly you have a very Dr. Doolittle situation and things just work. There is a plan to make that happen. And the minute we can start testing this, bring on the pets, bring on anything that we can actually go and test it with. I've got five horses down the back in my paddocks. I'd love to go and talk to Mr. Ed and see if we can make something like that actually happen. I'm skeptical. Of course I am. It's animals. The third topic before we get into the Samsung news. Netflix is unveiling, or has unveiled in my view, the first details of how they will manage anti-password sharing measures. Now, if you're somebody who uses Netflix, great. If you're somebody who shares your Netflix account with your parents, friends, neighbor, or otherwise, this is something for you. They're cracking down on that. They don't want people doing it. Paying one Netflix subscription, it should be per household, or it should be per account holder, not for you to share with your neighbors, even if you've got a multi-device subscription. So they're looking to do it in a couple of ways. So first of all, they're looking to say that effectively, the device that uses the Netflix account will need to check in with the home Wi-Fi at least once every 31 days to keep them as trusted devices. If a device has not connected to your home Wi-Fi network within that 31-day period, it will be blocked from accessing Netflix with that account. So if your parents have an Apple TV, they might need to bring that Apple TV over to your home at least once every 31 days, connect it to your home Wi-Fi, open up Netflix, start watching something, and then take it back home again to make sure it still works. Obviously, the inconvenience of that would probably suggest that they might need to get their own Netflix account. We've spoken about Netflix tiers before, and this is going to be my biggest recommendation to anybody. If you are potentially part of this password sharing, save a few bucks program, um, don't pay for the $24 per month premium subscription. Bump down to standard or basic or basic with ads. And if you're that person who's been sponging on it for free for the last year, two years, three years, whatever it is, consider the amount of savings you've had and pick a plan that just works for you. And if it's not worth anything to you, then don't use it. It's that simple. The idea that we even have to worry about this discussion is kind of bizarre. And it kind of makes me a little sad that there are people who don't want to spend the $7, $8 per month for Netflix. They would expect to have it for free because, hey, if my son, daughter, mum, dad, neighbor, uncle has decided to pay for it, then I should just be allowed to use their login whenever I like. Well, not really. That's not really how it should work. Um, so that's a quick tip. It looks like every 31 days, those devices will need to be connected to a home Wi-Fi network and being the home Wi-Fi network to actually make sure it's a trusted device. Now, the other thing that I'll quickly touch on there in that space is, well, what if your Wi-Fi name is the same as the other Wi-Fi name? Would that potentially trick Netflix into thinking it is in that home network? Apparently not. It won't be using Wi-Fi names or SSIDs. It will actually be leveraging the IP address of the home that it is connected to. So that's something to consider. You can't just have the Wi-Fi name the same as wherever you go. It's a bit smarter than that, a little bit more sophisticated than that. So uh, something I was thinking and something they've already obviously thought of themselves. Let's talk about Samsung. Let's unpack everything that Samsung has announced from San Francisco this morning. Now, if you woke up bright and early on Thursday morning, you would have been able to stream 
the Samsung Unpacked event. And if you missed it, that's literally what this podcast is all about, is helping you get informed without having to sit through that press conference. Now, I had access to information and the devices ahead of time, and that's allowed me to record this podcast so it's available to you the minute that I was actually allowed to talk about anything to do with the S23 announcement. Now, the Unpacked event is something we're starting to get used to. It's a very annual. It's almost on the same time every year. And we always know realistically that it's going to be about the flagship from Samsung, the S or the Galaxy S series. In this case, it's the S23. The S22 is a successful product. Uh, According to Samsung, it did very well. Now, I say very well, but especially considering the pandemic and the I guess the impact of inflation that it's having on people in terms of spending, people being more conscious of how much they spend on a smartphone and how often they replace them. Uh, The view from Samsung was actually that purchase intent above $1,200 has doubled um, over the last few years. So people are very much keen to still spend over $1,200 on a smartphone, and that's not necessarily an issue. Whereas in my view, and I think you've heard me talk about this before, to me, that's still so much money. And, you know, there are so many good smartphones, obviously, even from Samsung with their A-series, that really make me wonder why people would spend over $1,000, especially if you don't have a huge photography bent, for example. We're going to talk about photography a lot in this one. Let's go through the range. Let's just get straight down to some specifications, and then we're obviously going to touch on pricing and availability for Australia as well. Now, the big thing that did come out loud and clear during my briefing with Samsung was around sustainability. And we heard this at CES as well. And there was a lot of discussion around sustainability. And whether it's at CES or here, it continues to be a conversation that we're having. Now, the S23, uh, let's, let's just say the S23 Ultra for now, there is 80% of recycled PET. There's 20% reti- recycled ocean-bound plastic. We're talking about fishing nets and things like that. There is 22% recycled glass in the device as well. There is so much components that they're starting to say, could we make this piece, this, this individual piece, out of recycled materials? They're saying 15 tons of discarded fishing nets. Why, why is there so many discarded fishing nets? What are they doing with these things? Anyway, 15 tons of discarded fishing nets are effectively being used to create the plastics that we're seeing in these smartphones. It, to me, it's kind of insane. Recycled glass, I get. Glass bottles, this you know, bottle of wiggle wear a church block, it goes in the recycle bin and it ends up becoming the back of or the front of my smartphone. Okay, but recycled aluminium, they're actually starting to use recycled aluminium. It's the first time we're seeing this in a flagship device. However, it's just to make the side keys and the volume keys and the SIM card tray. So they're literally looking at the smallest components and thinking, how can we make that out of recycled materials? And, you know, again, I'm no greenie. I, I, these things are cool, but not necessarily a reason to purchase. But I just think if you're somebody who is sustainability minded or you're more concerned about every smartphone that you continue to replace, is it going into landfill, things like that, knowing that there has been an effort put into making this device out of recycled materials where possible, and obviously that continues to expand and grow and change, it's just good peace of mind knowing that. The packaging for the device will be 100% recycled paper. That newspaper you were reading the other day, it's actually the box of your Samsung S23. And there's something cool about that because, again, most people, they take the phone out of the box, the box moves aside, they only really care about the phone. 
the box needs to be used to get that product to you so it's not damaged, squashed or anything like that. Outside of that, it usually becomes something you put on your bookshelf or put in storage or actually put in the bin. So not everyone keeps their boxes like I do. So the sustainability baked in as we would have expected, especially given what they announced at CES with all the sustainability measures in that sense. Let's talk about the S23 and the S23 Plus, both of which are extremely similar, the main difference being in the uh, screen size. Now, otherwise, the cameras are identical. So S23, 168 grams, 7.6 mil thin, just as thin as the S23 Plus, um, but obviously we do have a screen size difference. Three cameras on the back, one camera on the front. Um, if you look at the back of the device, it looks a lot like the, the Galaxy Fold, the most recent Galaxy Fold with the three big lenses in a stacked vertical row. It looks good. It looks nice and neat. I like that the lenses all appear as the same size, like three perfect cuff buttons, I guess, on your collared shirt. Now we're talking on the front, a 12 megapixel camera on the back, ultra wide 12 megapixel, a wide 50 megapixel camera and a telephoto with three times uh, zoom up to 10 megapixels as well. The front facing camera is something that we're going to see a big difference on in these models, as well as you'll hear about in the, in the Ultra. But this night selfie mode is very, very interesting. And we, and we tested this as well. And again, I'm not calling this a review, but we tested this as part of the briefing. Dark room, very minimal light, group selfie with this night selfie mode. And it's very, very impressive in how it can bring light uh, into the photo making sure those in the selfie are actually visible uh, and really compensating for that lack of real light that was in the room. There's also night portrait photography using an amazing autofocus to still identify where you are, still create that beautiful sort of blurred background effect, even if it is at nighttime. So you can imagine, you know, with a few lights behind you, you would have these big blooms of light appearing behind you in this blur, which would actually look quite amazing in terms of night photography with the selfie camera. So it's very, very cool. So the front facing camera is very good. We do talk about a 50 megapixel camera on the back. I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy to talk about that. There was a lot of conversation around night. They say nightography. I say night photography. Um, but anyway, there's a lot of ways you can describe it. The 50 megapixel camera on the back, super HDR. It's got this AI detail enhancer built in as well. A lot of these things you probably need to get hands on to appreciate and to actually test. And I'm looking forward to running all of these phones through some, some good photography tests, especially at low light and nighttime, um, because I tend to be taking more photos at nighttime sometimes these days. It's a, I don't know what it is, but obviously if you're a younger crew, you're heading out a lot, you can see why night photography would be important. The uh, S23 6.1 inch uh, display, the S23 Plus is a 6.6 inch, 6.6 inch. I didn't think it was a big phone and it's interesting the plus size phones feel normal to me and I don't know if it's because I'm using the Pixel 7 Pro so much these days um, which is a similar size to the S23 Plus. 6.6 feels pretty good in the hand these days. Colors, black, green and the green is awesome. Um, the green looks like an army green. If you drive like an army jeep it's the perfect phone to go with it it looks really cool it's actually for a color it's it's quite manly in that sense you don't feel like it's a girly phone in the same way as you would as the lavender version which is a, a version with the s23 and there's also a cream which to me the cream looks more white than than beige or anything like that but they've called it cream now base storage on the s23 is 128 gig it then goes up to 256 and 512 the S23 Plus starts at 256, 
and then jumps to 512. So you've got a different base model storage on those two devices. That's the biggest difference. Um, you've both got wireless charging. You've both got wireless power share, you know, being able to rub two phones together to, to share um, battery charge. Bluetooth, Wi-Fi 6E, Android 13 out of the box, uh, and super fast charging as part of these devices as well. So you're really not going without um, even at the base model, you tend to have, you know, those three amazing cameras, the good front facing camera, and it just comes down to screen size. What is it that you want from a screen size perspective? But then when we get into pricing, you actually factor in, well, hang on, if I go to the S23 plus the larger screen, I also get double the storage at base. So keep that in mind when we do start to talk about pricing, and that's going to be an interesting factor here. Let's talk about the S23 ultra. This is the big dog. This is the one that most people seem to want, and then it comes down to whether you can afford it. It still has those three vertical cameras, but then it's also got two other sensors next to it. So there's more built into this than you might imagine. Now on the front is that 12 megapixel uh, camera with those, you know, that AI, that object aware engine to create these beautiful night portraits, basically. They also talk about being able to take amazing night video, and I should have mentioned that as well with the front-facing camera, image stabilization, and so on. On the back, however, is the answer to the rumor that we've had in the past. You do have that 10-megapixel telephoto lens. You do have that 12-megapixel ultra-wide. You do have um, a 10 times telephoto lens, but you also have a 200-megapixel wide camera a super quad pixel camera on the back now why do you need a 200 megapixel camera well the, the biggest reason is if you've ever watched someone pinch to zoom while taking a photo or even after they've taken a photo to try and get more detail from the image or to zoom in on something that they had a photo of or to crop an image digitally enhancing you're just chewing on pixels and you're just making that image smaller and smaller but if you're working with a much larger canvas it means you can crop without image degradation now, the best example of that was actually one that we did as part of the briefing. We walked into this room and they had the S23 Ultra on a tripod. And in the distance, they had a very, very, very small dollhouse. And I don't know what you call these ones, but it was like the dolls were the size of your fingernail. Really small, like small people and small beds. Um, not typical Barbie-sized dollhouse, if that's a way of describing it. And up close, it was small. You take a photo of it from about a meter and a half away with the 200 megapixel camera, and then you zoom in and you pinch to zoom and you pinch to zoom and you pinch to zoom. And then you start to realize why 200 megapixels make sense because the little doll that was sitting on the bed a meter and a half away could have ended up looking more like a portrait once I did the zoom in. And when you think about, and I don't know why we didn't take this outside, maybe because it was an unreleased product, but if I was to take a photo across the city, if I was standing at the Park Hyatt and I wanted to take a photo of the Opera House or Centerpoint Tower, which are both at distance, I could actually pinch to zoom, crop to zoom, whatever you want to do with that 200 megapixel camera and really get as photo as if I was standing right in front of it, almost making it look like I was on the ferry in the water in front of the Opera House instead of being on the shoreline. And that really means that you could take much better photos from a distance, whether it's at a football game, whether it's at a kid's recital, whatever it is, it no longer matters just how close you're physically standing to things. With 200 megapixels, you can really enhance the heck out of those photos to make sure you're as close as you would like to be. 
The other thing that they talked about was with this particular camera was not just around night photography for selfies. They talked about this astrophotography type experience where being able to take photos of people who stargaze, people who normally would look at the sky and know that that is um, Pythagoras's theorems of stars. I don't know what they're called. But if you had things that were in, in the sky that you want to take photos of and they're stars and they're in a formation of something that looks like a tiger, you would be able to do that with this phone. And not because of the 200 megapixel camera that can pinch the zoom, but because of how it can do longer exposure, greater stability, and to a point that you could take amazing shots with this. Now, again, we couldn't test that in this experience. It was daytime. They showed some photos of uh, one of the guys there who had done some photos and actually looked really, really good. Now, where I live, I have a lot of, um, I don't have a lot of light pollution in terms of, you know, streetlights, things like that. I can probably get some really good night photography, but I've never done it. And this has been something I'll ask Samsung is for me to try and test that. Um, you know, I walk down the paddocks, I can get into pitch black locations and on a clear night, I can see a lot of stars with a naked eye. So I'm really curious to see how it goes um, with, this, with this new feature and night photography, whatever you want to call it, astrophotography, I don't know. But if I get to get some great photos of the moon or some stars or some constellation or whatever it's called, if I can see my star sign, I'm all up for it. Now, from a dimensions point of view, we're talking about 8.9 mil, 234 grams, so a slight bit heavier than the other two devices, but it is obviously a larger phone. The other thing I want to say around here is, and it's not something that applies to me, but it's not all about me, is gaming. Um, gaming was talked about quite a lot. Apparently, there are 11 million gamers, and 66% of them are on a smartphone. That is in Australia. That is within Australia. That's not a global figure. That's in Australia. Now, that's a lot of people. I like to play games. I like to play games on a console. They even demonstrated having an Xbox controller connected via Bluetooth to the S23 and being able to play incredible games. They've, it's got a Snapdragon 8 Gen 2 processor. This has got 40% faster GPU and NPU. Um, I don't like numbers like that, but maybe you do. And the reason that these numbers don't mean a lot to me is because without experiencing it, without actually playing a real game on a device, how do I know if it actually is a very good uh, gaming device? Now, it does have real-time ray tracing now, and it also has what they call vapor cooling chambers. So it means that the game, the phone won't run super hot, meaning it won't slow down, and you can play these graphics-heavy games. And I guess we probably need to wait for or find these games that are so intense on these devices, and I actually think it's going to be almost games that you could get from your Xbox console and so on to play on these devices and actually really put them to the test. So something I'm willing to give a go at, it's just something I don't regularly do is game on a small smaller screen. Now, I say smaller screen, this is a 6.8 inch QHD display. It's got that super smooth 120 hertz refresh rate from one hertz all the way up to 120 hertz depending on what you're doing and having that super smooth transition if it's static images or if you're scrolling. Um, it's got this amazing uh, vision booster for outdoor visibility. So if you're in a lot of sunlight, how it will actually increase brightness to handle that. Base storage out of the box, 256 gig, uh, as well as a one terabyte version should you want it. So 256, 512, and then one terabyte. It's an absolute machine. Um, again, all that wireless charging, power share, Wi-Fi 6E, everything you would expect. It's also got ultra-wideband as well, uh, which is going to be interesting to see how that gets used in the future. 
uh, colors, colors black, green, cream, and lavender, just like the other ones. So no huge differences. The cameras is really everything. And obviously the display and the processors, um, from a looks perspective, it has those two extra sensors on the back and obviously is physically a little bit larger. Let's talk about prices. The S23 starts from 1349. We're talking about Australian pricing here. 1349 at 128 gigs of storage. If you move into the S23 at 256 gigs of storage, it is a larger display. You're looking at 1649. So it's an extra $300 to have double the storage and a larger screen. If you don't want the larger screen, but you do want double the storage, the S23 with 256 gig will be 1449. So it is definitely a, a price increase to have that screen size or that extra real estate as well. But if you're someone who wants to get the best phone from Samsung, you want the S23 Ultra, well, it starts from $1,949, $1,949 at 256 gigs of storage. If you would like to bump that up and you want 512, you want double the storage, it will start at 2249 And if you want to go the one terabyte because you've got more things to store in this device than you can think of, then 2649 is where the range tops out. Now, when I look at that range and I start to do some quick comparisons, from an iPhone perspective, if you try and go as like for like as you possibly can get, the S23 range is cheaper. Even looking at different storage levels, even looking at different screen sizes, if I compare the iPhone 14 or the iPhone 14 Pro or the iPhone 14 Pro Max, and you start to put them into tiers alongside these devices, the S23 range is cheaper. However, when I look at the Google Pixel range, because I think a couple of weeks ago I said, my perspective is that these guys aren't competing with Apple anymore. If you want a Samsung, you want a Samsung. If you want an Apple device, you get an Apple device. I don't think there's many people jumping camps anymore, but I do think within the Android camp, there is a very strong, compelling reason for people to want to jump within that area, and that's within brand. So if you're looking at Google, we're talking about 799 for the Pixel 7, or triple nine for the Pixel 7 Pro. That's so much cheaper than the S23. That's so much cheaper than the S23 base model. And I think the, the photos that I've taken on the Pixel 7 Pro continue to surprise me. The features that Google continues to deliver on these devices continues to surprise me. So I am busting to try the S23 Ultra to put it side by side with the Pixel 7 Pro and really draw those comparisons really try and understand why someone would spend so much more money on the S23 Ultra or any of the other S23 devices. And it could come, to come down to things that I don't normally do. I don't normally do astrophotography. I don't normally take night selfies. These are things that I would have to purposely test side by side to really fully understand. I don't game. I need to start doing the gaming things. So it's really to me to try and look at these devices and go, why? Why, why, why? Why would somebody do this? Why would somebody spend that money? I put that on me to come back to you and tell you that. So they're the, they're the three devices, S23, S23 Plus, and S23 Ultra. Um, Pre-order from the 2nd and launch on the 17th of February. So pre-order on the day you're listening to this and you'll be able to pick it up on the 17th. Honestly, really exciting. Um, I, I am excited by this and I'm excited by the advances in the photography, something you can't appreciate until you actually test it. We can always talk about numbers and things like that, but we need to actually test it and understand it. That small hands-on experience that we had uh, in Sydney was interesting and it did give you a bit of a sneak peek as to what it was going to be like. 
but that's never enough until actually you take it home and you put it next to existing devices and you test similar experiences. And um, I can't wait to, I can't wait to do that and to tell you more about it. So let me know what you think. Does it does it swing you? Are you an Apple person who you know is thinks I'm wrong and you actually are somebody considering jumping ship to Samsung for something like this, or are you in, in the Android camp and this is one of the things that you consider between maybe going for a Google phone? or a Samsung device, or even a different Android device, whatever that could be, an Oppo or something. Let me know from 1349 to 2649. It's, uh, it's exciting. It's exciting. I think I've covered everything. So the last thing I'll quickly touch on, because I'm looking at my notes. Last thing I'll touch on here is accessories. They talked about how the devices within the Samsung ecosystem will start to work better together. We're talking about the buds, we're talking about the watch, how all of those devices will be more seamless and integrated with this new phone. Um, again, I, I take this straight out of the Apple book. Obviously, you open a pair of AirPods next to an iPhone, bang, they're almost immediately connected. Same thing with a watch, same thing with any device. Samsung is really bringing that you know, that simple experience into into their ecosystem, not just with smart things, but just in general. You open a pair of um, the Samsung Buds next to a Samsung device, immediately it pops up. They're ready to set up, ready to start using. So it's good that they're doing that. They talked about some brand partnerships they're doing from an accessories point of view as well. So there may be some cool cases or watch bands or headphone um, cases that you might want to have a look and pay attention for. And then while I've read out those prices, do consider that if you're a Telstra customer or an Optus customer or Vodafone customer, they will all be doing pre-order deals as well. And some of those pre-order deals can sometimes include a pair of buds or a watch or something like that. So if you're in the market for an S23, have a look at your telco and see what they're going to offer as part of a bundle. Uh, those pre-order bundles are usually pretty good. They're usually pretty compelling. And if, even if it's a storage upgrade or something like that, if you can secure something like that as part of that pre-order deal, why not? You can see there's certainly money to be saved uh, considering how high this phone can get in terms of price. So a lot to unpack there, a lot more to talk about. I can't wait to do that with you over the coming weeks. Thanks for listening. Thank you for downloading. Any questions, please do send it through and I can try and tell you whatever I can, uh, either before you pre-order or before you place an order once it is available in the market. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye.